Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast It is always up to speed with Formula One. Mark Daly here, just a little intro for the show tonight. Mark is waiting on deck, sort of, kind of, but not really. We're not doing a show together as we usually do, but uh, earlier today we joined our good friend uh, Tim Haraney from TSN to recap uh, the Australian Grand Prix for the TSN Racing Pod. So we've got that coming up uh, for you. And as always, please check out everything that Tim's got going on. You can give him a follow at, on Twitter at Tim Haraney. And you can find his podcast, the TSN Racing Pod, at tsn.ca slash tsn-racing-pod or on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Anyways, that's enough from me. Tim, take it away. Joined by Mark Daly and Mark Hamilton from the Scuderia F1 Pod. Uh, Mark Daly, what's up, man? How are you? How's everything? Uh, did you enjoy the racing this weekend? Oh, boy, did I ever. I, I'm doing great, thanks. And uh, <laughs> it was a bit of a, a weird situation, was it? I was trying to remember what it was like in Australia before, but it's been like, what, three years since we've been there? So it was it was great to be back uh, down under for Formula One. And uh, Mark Hamilton, yourself. I mean, I look. Hey, you got sun there, dude. Like it's like uh, it's like nighttime <laughs> over here, man. What's going on? Uh, dude, I am doing fantastic, and it was so great to be back in Australia in very different circumstances. We knew yeah. there was going to be a race, and it was also great for us in the Pacific time zone because we're so used to those 5 a.m., 6 a.m. starts that it was super cool to be able to watch qualifying and to be able to watch the race in prime time. For us, it was kind of like a sneak preview of what it's going to be like for Vegas next year, that we've got that beautiful 10 p.m. time slot. And I know for all your listeners in Europe, this weekend was agony because it was an early start, but for at least for us on the Pacific coast of West America or North America is beautiful. Oh man. The Eastern time zone. I got crushed, dude. I didn't get to bed till like 5. AM each morning. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> and then I could only sleep till like, Oh man, I don't know. 10 o'clock at the latest. So I've only been rubbing, running on like four hours, five hours sleep for the past, you know, three, four days. So it's been, hasn't been too easy, man. Um, but let me tell you who had it easy was Charles Leclerc. Cause Guys, I mean, Ferrari looks absolutely incredible in Australia. Um, what, Leclerc finishes with 22nd lead over second place Sergio Perez. I mean, it's unheard of, especially in this, you know, supposed to be new wave regulation of Formula One. I thought it would be a little bit closer this weekend, guys, to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah, totally. I mean, the one thing we can say now is that uh, Ferrari is legit. At the start of the season, I'm 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 always very conservative when it comes to like making predictions and saying so and so is going to be an out and out title contender. Just because, especially this year, more than any other year, because everything's so brand new. And I, I mean, Charles has now won two out of three races, and he's looked all he's looked awesome in all three of them. But today, I mean, except for that one restart from behind the safety car, we looked a little bit shaky through those first couple of corners till he found his found his groove again and then took off. I mean, he really was unchallenged for the entire race. You can't say the same thing for his poor old teammate, but Charles looks pretty darn good. 
Daily, you make a good point too, because that 20.5 second gap between Charles and Sergio is awfully misleading because of those safety cars. You take the safety cars out of this race and maybe he wins by a solid solid minute because you're right with the exception of like a little bit shaky with max after that one safety car restart aside from that this was just a dominating performance the whole weekend from charles leclerc yeah absolutely he was incredible that pole lap that he stitched together um on saturday was uh, mesmerizing man like i think and what a couple of things that i noticed the most out of that pole lap was just like how much grip the ferrari has uh, especially in turns one and the high speed left hander turn nine, um, going into both of those corners, like the entry, the car looks sweet, but like once he goes back to power, because sometimes you got to roll the speed into the corner a bit and wait for the car to settle before you can kind of get back on the power. He's like back on the power, like instantaneously. It's very impressive how much grip um, that Ferrari has. And same with uh, Red Bull. Red Bull looks impressive too through through nine and 10, but that's kind of like just what stood out the most to me with that Ferrari this weekend. I don't know what stood out the most uh, to you guys, but yeah, for me, it was incredible to watch them go through there. He looked like you know, he I was think- on rails. Pardon me, Mark, mm-hmm. go ahead. No, I was, I was just going to say, I think, Tim, it was actually you that maybe maybe tweeted this on Friday, maybe it was Thursday night, that the Ferraris were bouncing a lot this weekend as well. And when I saw that in free practice, my assumption was they were going to lose some serious time this weekend through free practice and qualifying. And maybe it's going to be a little bit more competitive with Red Bull. But despite the fact that those cars were bouncing pretty aggressively along some of those high-speed straights, it didn't seem to have any impact on their performance at all, which was pretty darn remarkable because I seriously thought there was going to be some challenges there, but it didn't seem to make a difference to Charles, like his top end speed, his balance in the corners, to your point, the stability coming out of a corner and getting back on the throttle. None of that seemed to be compromised. Yeah. He said he actually, you know, watching how much porpoising he had going on in, in the car, especially in lead up to like turn nine, because obviously you have that really, you know, the new back straightaway there, the new pavement that they laid down and getting rid of that old chicane. Uh, the amount of downforce is getting generated, you know, going down that straightaway and to see how much, you know, he's porpoising and his head's like bouncing around. I, I don't know how, and, and you know, he did talk about this after, I mean, but I don't know how he was able to pick out the reference points that he needed for breaking and turning in because it's such Great like a call. technical it's such a technical corner, right? I mean, not a lot of people would get it, but it's like it's trying to like thread the eye of a needle because you can't you can't get the turn in, you can't get the braking or the turn in like wrong in that corner because there's so much load transferring with that car. Like, it's absolutely incredible like what Charles is able to do and he even said like the porpoising for for him it it just didn't really bother him leading up to that and how like the downforce got reactivated I don't know if you guys noticed that at all but like when you saw when I saw like the Mercedes right porpoising so much going down that straightaway and then once you you know Lewis or George gets to the braking zone they kind of roll the car into the corner and then you're waiting for them to kind of get back on to the power because they're still kind of sluggishly bouncing around. Now that might have a lot to do with the ride height that they were running to help cure some of the porpoising, but you can just see the stark contrast between, you know, the Mercedes and the Ferrari in that sort of combination. But for Charles, like, yeah, he, he even said like the porpoising for him, just he, he didn't find it that intrusive heading into that turn where I think for Carlos, it was, it was kind of a different story. And I think for Carlos in general, mm-hmm. uh, 
<laughs> daily i mean you had a tough weekend man <laughs> oh totally but I, I just wanted to build on your thoughts there just uh, i i love the change that they made on the back of the circuit you know getting rid of that uh, that old chicane with that right left uh, combo and just uh, you know streamlining it and i loved how it came down because the next co- uh, corner was still pretty much uh, the same but i just love the amount of speed that they were able to pick up on that, that back straight and it was a fascinating corner to watch because like you say we saw like multiple different cars dealing with that porpoising issue we saw how carlos got it wrong went off to the the, the grass and then ended up burying it into the gravel which ended a pretty miserable weekend for him but then we saw who else did we see we saw magnuson have the same problem you know he just outbraked himself but then we saw that really impressive uh, overtake uh, from from sergio he actually nailed it going into that corner i mean he got a little bit deep but compared to k mag and to carlos he was able to just i guess by the skin of his teeth keep it on the track even though he went ran a little bit deep but yeah, well, I mean, just talking about Carlos now, what a miserable, miserable weekend. I mean, he qualified in, what was it, ninth, and then his weekend was done pretty quick there. It was just, it was it was, it was, was pretty bad. I mean, he was on the podium the first two races of the year, and now no points. And, th- and that's the thing, what I find interesting, too. I mean, if you look at the constructors, Ferrari has 104 points. Mercedes, incredibly, has 65 in the constructors for second place. And then Red Bull has 55. It- it's interesting, because if you look at all the DNF, that we've seen from Ferrari and Red Bull through the first three races of the season, just how many points that they've left on the, left out on the track. And, and, and Carlos, I mean, obviously he's, he's, he's going to be upset and frustrated with what happened in Melbourne this weekend, but he's obviously left a lot of points out on the track. But I, I'm just getting that feeling, despite what happened to Bahrain and Saudi, I, I feel that you know, there's just general frustration in the season so far that he's not getting the results that he wants. And I don't know. I don't know, guys. What, what does Carlos Sainz do now? Does he just take a couple of days off for a mental health break and just try and get his, you know, get in the right headspace and, and refocus and come back for, for the next Grand Prix and just you know, try and start over again? I don't know, Tim, what do you think, Mark? Ideas, I'm kind of like throwing stuff at the wall here and see what, uh, what'll stick when it comes to Carlos Sainz. Yeah, you know, I don't think we need to panic. The reality is we're three Grand Prix into a 23 race season. It was a bad weekend. It was a miserable weekend. I would have expected more from him. I'm sure the Formula One team, Asio Bonato, et cetera, probably very much expected more. It's disappointing as well because despite the fact that Ferrari have an almost, what, 40-point lead in the Constructors' <laughs> Championship after just three races, that could be oh so much more. And really, it played into, it would have played into the hands of Red Bull Racing, but because of that DNF that you just spoke to with Max, it ultimately ended up playing into the hands of Mercedes. And Mercedes, despite all of the criticism, all the criticism, every corner of the internet, it's what's wrong with Mercedes, what's wrong with Mercedes, Mm -hmm. what's going on, what's going on. Despite all of that, they're second in the championship. So they have absolutely benefited by the lack of reliability from Red Bull and some of these some of these driver errors. And I really, really say, or I would argue that everything that was wrong with Carlos this weekend was not car-related because Leclerc's package was perfect. That was more driver-related. But it really puts Mercedes in a really great position that, hey, if we're not seeing the best of Mercedes and that car's only going to evolve and continue to improve over the rest of the season, they may look back in the first month of the season and say, oh my God, those points that we were able to scrape together are absolutely crucial to our, our championship hopes because I know... People are quick to write them off. That just seems to be the world that we live in right now. There's a lot of exaggeration and hyperbole, but we're still only three races into a record 23 race championship. And even Charles Leclerc today after the race was being interviewed and he's 
said, look, you know what? Some of uh, some of my success so far has been a little bit luck. And he's like, you know what? I am going to make mistakes. Everyone is going to make mistakes over the course of the championship and his will come. He's not going to win every single race. He's not going to finish top two every single race, but kudos to Mercedes. And I know that's not necessarily the topic we're on right now, but kudos to Mercedes for continuing to hoover up points when they really yeah. shouldn't be available to them. Yeah, just uh, circling back on on Carlos because I think he expected a lot more from himself. You know, this weekend, hearing from him after qualifying and uh, following the races as well, he was he's he's very upset with himself uh, for a few reasons. Right. Obviously, for the mistakes that have been made, but at the same time, he understands that he has a car that's capable of winning a, a at the moment capable of winning a championship. And for Carlos, he's never really, he's never been in that position in Formula One. And this is the first time that that's ever happened. And I think for him, he might feel like, hey, like I'm blowing this at the moment and I really need to start getting it together so I can at least take the fight to Charles and make sure that the team doesn't consider him as the number one driver. Because like we know, and we can touch on this topic in just a second, because I wanted to bring up something else before it. You know, like we know, there's going to be a point in the season where Ferrari's going to do a cutoff line saying that, hey, whoever is going to be uh, leading or ahead in the championship, we're going to put our focus there. And then the second, the other driver is just going to play back up to the first place driver. Um, just another quick point I wanted to make about um, Carlos. So, like, w- when he goes off, he goes into the gravel, beaches the car. I'm starting to get a bit of an issue with, with, like, with this because I think that there was no damage done to the car and he's on the team radio and he's sitting there and he's telling them, Hey, there's no damage done here. And I can like, I can, I can get back into the fight. Team tells him to select reverse. He buries himself a bit. So then he decides to tell them, Hey, I'm just going to turn the engine off and see what these marshals decide to do. And that's it. That's the end of his race, right? There's no, Hey, let's try and get this car back out onto the racetrack and give this guy a chance. It's like, no, you're done. Get out of the car. Your race is over. It's this beached rule that, that that they kind of have here. And I got a problem with it because I think at the end of the day, we want to see as many cars out, you know, during a race, fighting for points, fighting with other cars, especially for a Ferrari. You know, if you're a Ferrari fan, you want to see, them back in the race. Like I got text messages, DMs from Ferrari fans, absolutely livid about all of that. And they make a good point. Here's my question to you guys. Would you like to see them be able to just put the car back into the race instead of just saying, okay, that's it. You're done. Get out. Yeah, well, why not? I mean, we, we kind of saw something like that last year at Imola when Lewis got into the gravel. Remember, he slid off on that really greasy track. And I mean, that was more him sort of re- putting into reverse and kind of <laughs> sliding out in slow motion, but he was able to get going. I mean, sure, why not? I mean, the, the thing is, I mean, at, at that point, Carlos was going to be at the very end of the running order. So, I mean, he had his work cut out. I mean, unfortunately for Carlos, I mean, at the start of the race, as quickly as Charles was rocketing up the, the track, Carlos was going backwards through the race order. I was almost kind of wondering, did he select the wrong gear <laughs> because he was going backwards so quickly? But sure, I mean, when it, when it comes to something like that, why not? I mean, uh, I... You know, it's like if the car's not damaged, give him an opportunity and uh, let him see if he can work himself back uh, back up. I mean, he was already a country mile behind, but sure, why not? 
I guess the other consideration too here is not so much the rules or the philosophy of the individual teams, but rather track construction itself, right? Like if you're going to build a track that has fairly narrow margins because it's kind of a hybrid street track, hybrid dedicated track in a city park, you're going to be forced to use sand and gravel to slow down cars to make sure they don't have any high-speed impacts with the wall. Like really, to me, this comes down to more uh, uh, the philosophy of track design. Like if this was Paul Ricard, which is just oceans of tarmac and asphalt, he goes off, he recovers, he loses 10 places, but he's right back in the race. Mm -hmm. Based on the nature of this track and the way it's designed, it was very unlikely anyone's ever going to get out of that car or out of that trap because like you said, he's completely beached. So maybe this just goes back to the way that the FI enforces the regulations around how these tracks are built because if we don't like seeing cars go off for this wasn't an innocent incident and he was very lucky he didn't collect a couple of cars and bring them into the gravel with him but the reality is that exact same mistake on other tracks would have been easily recoverable and he would have been back in the race and we never would have talked about it we're only talking about it because he got into this gravel and it's not so easy to get out again yeah, but what's the, I mean, what's stopping them from like hooking up a tow chain to the top of the roll bar and just ha hauling them out like they do in IndyCar? Like what's stopping them from true. doing that? Yep. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's kind of like if I'm, cause like he didn't want to get out of the race, like even yeah. though he had dropped all the way back to the back, right? Like he didn't want to get out of the race because we've seen crazier things, right? We've seen guys come from last place and score big points in races. We've seen guys lap down and get on the podium, mm -hmm. i.e. Imola last year uh last year yeah so like we've seen these things so it's kind of like i don't understand why they're still just retiring drivers as soon as yeah. they get beached i don't know i don't really agree with it i would like them to take a look at it but you, like, you've actually you oh. won me over on this one to be totally honest <laughs> it's not something that ever bothered me but now that i'm thinking about it I'm, I'm paying x amount per race to my tv subscription to watch these races i want to see the best cars competing at any given time and i don't want somebody out of a race because of an instant errand and you know you talk about indie but in moto gp i've seen riders in moto GP crash out, have the marshals push them to mm -hmm. jump start that bike, get mm -hmm. back into the race and score a podium. Score a point. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Point points podiums. It's it's crazy. I, I've never thought about that, Tim. You've you've enlightened me. <laughs> <laughs> you brought up a good point about Carlos's start. Um and how like, yeah, he he like looked like he was going back. Like, he would literally look like the car was in reverse and everyone was just passing him off the start. It's interesting. And I think it's something we should keep an eye on because I've heard a I've heard about this a few times from a few different drivers is that uh, with these with this new powertrain uh they're actually struggling like getting off the line for the start of some of these races it's like there's a slip happening and like the car just can't get the traction it needs to get sometimes to you know get the revs up we saw a big problem with that with Valtteri Bottas in uh in Bahrain first race of the season and I think Guan Yu Zhou had a similar type thing happened to him as well the next race but regardless of that this is something i think we should probably keep an eye on as as things go forward and another thing we'll obviously keep an eye on is like when does that cutoff line begin for who's going to be the first uh who's going to be the favorite driver at ferrari and who's going to be second favorite i mean mark daly what what are your thoughts on this because i think charles is uh getting closer and closer to being the the, the number one driver here 
Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's not really unprecedented territory. I mean, we saw a couple of years ago when uh, when when Charles came and partnered up with uh, Sebastian Vettel that he really forced that issue within well almost a couple of races, right? So I, I think for for the moment, just based on the fact that he's been for, at Ferrari for several years, I mean, he's he's been able to do it when he's had the car. I mean, this, I know this is only his fourth career victory, but in the past two years, he hasn't had the the most competitive car. But on the other hand, you know, you want to be the best, you got to beat the best, right? And I know that uh, Carlos kind of feels that uh, that he hasn't been able to, to to do the job so far this year. And my whole position on this is, Carlos, if you think you're better than Charles, go for it. Prove it on the track. You know, if, if you can beat him head, you know, head to head, then you deserve that number one spot in the team. But I think that's the, the way that Charles is, I mean... He hasn't put a wheel wrong, basically, in the first three races. I mean, he was just flawless this week. And I mean, pole position, race victory, fastest lap. I mean, you know, he was a, a mile ahead of Sergio Perez by the time the checkered flag was waved. I mean, you know, when, when you see a weekend like Charles had, that's just, it, it's it's impressive. I mean, if, if Carlos wants to be in that conversation for the number one driver for Ferrari, he's going to have to start doing the same thing and beating Charles at his own game. Passion. Drive and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Last year, I think, may prove to have been a, a bit of an anomaly. Let, let's, let, let's, let's go back to last year, right? Carlos Sainz outscores him in the Drivers' Championship. I, I think Ferrari were a very nice surprise last year, finishing P3 in the Constructors, and obviously they were t- kind of playing down expectations. They wanted to uh, they wanted to be able to build towards uh, a future season, which I think might be 2023. But let's be very honest. Charles is the fan favorite, and Daly, just like you said, he has been since 2019 when he erupted into the Ferrari. Ferrari hemisphere scored mm-hmm. those two race wins, stacked up all those podiums, was running circles around Sebastian Vettel's. There was team like we all know what those circumstances were. I think it was just that the entire conversation was kind of, I would say, muted a little bit last year. And last year was just such sure. a lovely, good news story for that team that they were outperforming expectations. But this year, suddenly the expectations are completely different. And clearly they both have a car that's capable of winning every single Grand Prix. And to your point, Tim, I, I really think that 
Carlos's headspace after that last race is, look, I've scored two podiums so far, but I was a distant, distant, distant first and I, or distant second and a distant third behind Charles Leclerc. I have a car capable of winning. And I think his frustration level after beaching that car in Australia must just be in the stratosphere that I was given a car that should be capable of winning. I could do nothing in qualifying. I qualify P9. I have a horrendous race start. And then I beach the car because I go hot, too hot into T9, T10, can't correct, slide on the grass. I'm lucky I didn't collect any other cars. Like he must be incredibly frustrated. But if there's a question, if there's a question within the community about who that number one driver is, I think the answer is being being written in stone right in front of us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good good point that you make. I think, um, you know, uh, for, for Carlos, he is an incredible talent. And I think we've all seen him be put into difficult, you know, situations within formula one. He's been in formula one for, you know, a long time. So I think for him, it's kind of like what I referred to earlier, where I think he has the understanding and knows that he has a chance here that he could win a championship. And I think he doesn't want to let this thing slip away on him. And it's kind of like what's the saying, like squeezing the hamster, right? You know, if you really want something really bad, sometimes <laughs> it kind of you know backfires in your face and it goes the other direction. So yeah, yeah. For, for, for Carlos, I think for, for him, this time off will probably serve him well. I mean, I think, I think he's going to be able to get back into it. I and I've been saying this on like radio interviews I've done, said it on Sports Center, said it on this podcast a ton of times. They think he's super talented. And I honestly think that like he his championship, world drivers championship material. And I think he's probably going to be sticking around at Ferrari for a little bit longer. And I also think that he's not going to play second fiddle to Charles Leclerc because he already did that with Max Verstappen. And I think that rubbed him the wrong way. And so yeah, I honestly think that I honestly think that Carlos Sainz is going to get back into this thing. And, you know, Hammy, you made a great point. This is a long season. We got 23 races to go. So anything can kind of happen. But the bigger issues are what's going on down at Red Bull, because that's two DNFs so far for Max Verstappen uh, at the beginning of this season. I mean, it's absolutely you know ridiculous. I never thought that Red Bull would honestly have um, the issues that they are having to start off this season at the moment. It's unclear what happened with, with the car. It hasn't been reported on just yet. Um, happened on lap 39 and yeah, it, it, it looks stable. The car looks well balanced. I mean, I think max has trouble with it in slower speed corners, but outside of that, I mean, I think they've got a championship winning machine here. You know, it, it is interesting, right? I, I mean, the language that you hear coming out of uh, Max Verstappen, like the things that he's saying, I wouldn't expect to hear like the reigning world champion after three races saying, I'm not even thinking about the championship f fight right now. I'm just thinking that, you know, I'm wanting to finish races. This is not, you know, what, you know, this is not what any of us were expecting to hear at this point in time, but obviously that they have uh, problems. We saw with the double DNF in Bahrain, first race of the year, and then Max again today. And I, I thought it was interesting too, like during the race that uh, you have Checo on the radio, you know, talking or asking his engineer, you know, what's the problem? And the answer pretty quick was, don't worry about what happened to Max. It's yeah. unrelated. It's irrelevant. Just focus on what you need to do. But it's it's almost shocking to me to see how many points that Max is like left out on the on the track after two, three races. It, pardon me. 
it also reminds me and how quickly we forget 2020, right? Because that was a 17 race championship. It was the COVID shortened championship. Hamilton kind of ran away with it and went one with 350 points, but Max had five DNFs that year. All of them, all of them principally due to mechanical gremlins within the car. And mm, I think point. was probably a little bit concerning here and maybe good news, maybe good news for Christian Horner and helmet Marco and the whole Red Bull team is it doesn't look like the issues that they're having are related to the power unit. Power unit seems good. It seems whole. It seems as reliable as it was last year, but given the new regulations, the fuel cell, which is where obviously the fuel bladder, it's where the fuel pump, all of the electronics are keep. It seems to be, and they said the Red Bull team said they won't actually know what the issue is until they get the car back to Milton Keynes. And they, can do a complete teardown to diagnose what the issue is, but it seems to be once again that it's an issue within the fuel cell. And you could hear when Max pulled over that he could smell the fluid and then promptly there's fire coming out of the back of the car. So it's 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 good news for Red Bull that it's not the power unit because power units are effectively frozen now and there's not a whole lot they could do except for some minor, moderate kind of reliability tweaks. But it's also bad news that something as crucial as the fuel cell is, is costing you race victories at this point. And, you know, we're through two races now. Now, or Max has already had two DNFs. That's an absolute horror show when you think about the number of points they've left on the on the table. And as we talked about earlier, there's one specific team that's benefited from that. But bad news for Max. And Max was always cast last year as the villain. He was cast as the villain to drive to survive. And that was the narrative for so much of last year in the media. And all of a sudden, there's a little bit of sympathy for this guy who's the reigning <laughs> world champion. And he's only finished one of three races and has only scored 25 points. But to your point, Tim, that car looks incredibly stable incredibly level. The one thing that I did find that was a little bit interesting was after the race, Max was speaking to the fact that this car is eating tires alive. Whereas mm -hmm. it seems like some teams, Williams a little bit and definitely Ferrari, they've got great balance, great reliability or great stability. And the car mm -hmm. is managing the compounds. Well, Max had spoken to the fact that this car is just eating those tires yeah. alive, especially in high load corners. And that's not good news either. But aside from that, it seems like they've got some good things going. And it's a particular tire too, right? I mean, it's not necessarily, I mean, it's, it's the, it's the C4 or sorry, it's the C3 and the C5 right. that it's yep. like chewing through where once he was running like the C2s, the tire wear issue with the Red Bull isn't, isn't as bad. And it seems like when Max is in either traffic or fighting with another car, and we saw this at uh, Saudi Arabia, was that if he was running the softer compound or the medium compound, he couldn't race. Like he just couldn't race because the tire would just overheat, you know, too, way too easily. And and that's more that's more thermal degradation that's going on there. So really interesting and i think it this is all going to change too once we start getting to different tracks with different ambient temperatures and different track temperatures as as well and i think that might change just just a little bit but they got a ton of downforce going through this car guys like they mm -hmm. got a ton and for some reason they're able uh to just get over the porpoising issue too with as much downforce right. as, that right. they are actually running it's absolutely incredible um Interesting note, though, like before the start of the race, even on Max's side, he had a ton of um, park for May changes to the car. So he had a clutch breakout box, uh, gearbox, hydraulic system and actuator. I think he had a clutch actuator as well. He had an LHS uh, deflector. He had a fuel cell loom, auxiliary radiator change. And then Sergio... He also had the auxiliary radiator changed on his as well. So, and, that, and those were rush changes too, because 
you could see them like Sky Sports even showed it on their telecast of the crew at Red Bull, like furiously working underneath that car um, before uh, the uh, uh, before the uh, warm up laps began. Yep. So it's yep. it's they got some things going on there. But one of the things with racing that I've you know. I always lived by, I always got told when I was, you know, when I was racing uh, and we had a lot of car issues at some points in some different series that I raced in is just like, Hey, you can fix reliability, but you cannot fix speed or fix or make a slow car fast quickly. You can't mm. do it. You can fix reliability quite quickly. So I think for Red Bull on their end, that's probably, that might be a saving grace. I think the later we get into the season, uh, moving over to uh, Mercedes, I mean, you know, talking to total wolf on, on Saturday, didn't have a ton of expectations for, uh, for his team. Um, I think he, he, uh, he basically felt that if they got fifth or sixth, that's like a good day. Uh, for them, we didn't get to talk to him after uh, on Sunday, but that's the way he he came across on on Saturday when mm. we did get to chat with him. Um, didn't bring any uh, really big upgrades. Actually, didn't bring any upgrades at all for Australia. Where I think some people had like reported that they were bringing like a rear wing and a new floor, and I was like, no, there's there's no <laughs> way that's there's no way that's happening. You know, that's such a huge change to make to that race car. Um, but yeah, what did you guys think of uh, Mercedes's weekend? Because you know we did touch on it just a little bit off the top there, but I mean, I, this is kind of gravy for them, you know? Yeah, I, and I'll touch on the upgrade piece because I was listening to the BBC Checker or BBC Checkered Flag podcast a little bit earlier today, and somebody on the podcast made a a note that hadn't really dawned on me. And, you know, if we went back to 2019 or 15 or 13 and Mercedes came into the season, they were having this soft start. They would literally open the checkbook and just start writing checks, building a new factory. You know, we need to hire 50 new engineers. We need to build a new wind tunnel, do whatever it takes. And this point they made on the checkered flag podcast today was like, Mercedes has to be incredibly tactical, incredibly strategic, and very, very patient when it comes to the upgrades that they apply this year, because they're working under budget cap. They cannot throw money at a problem as teams would have in the past. If they throw money at the rear wing and it's the wrong upgrade or it doesn't fix the issue, that's money's gone. And there's mm -hmm. only so much resources that they can commit because of the budget mm -hmm. cap. So part of this could be that they're just not certain that the upgrades they have as they've been developed are going to help the car. So I think the thought is like, hey, if we're going to be an upgrade, it's going to be a balanced upgrade. And we're going to be confident that that new floor is going to work with the new wing, which will work with the new inlets, all those kind of things that they're not just going to simply start throwing parts at this car. One, because they don't want to compromise performance in the short term, but two, in the long term, they can't afford to make a mistake because it could cost them a million dollars to develop a new floor. If it's the wrong floor, that million dollars is gone. They may not have another million dollars in the budget to redevelop it. So they've got to be very, very careful. But Tim, to your point, I think this weekend was all gravy for this team. And I think it was remarkable as well that they seem to have significantly more race pace than they did in either practice or qualifying, right? You look at that, you look at that Q3 performance, they're a second off of Leclerc. Russell and Hamilton are a second mm -hmm. off of Leclerc. Didn't seem like there was a world in which they were going to break into the 117s, but they seemed incredibly racy. And I think the benchmark this weekend probably wasn't ever going to be Leclerc, but both Hamilton and Russell at times seemed awfully racy 
and awfully competitive with Sergio mm-hmm. Perez. And if that's your benchmark right now, that's a really good benchmark because like we just talked about, aside from the reliability issues, that Red Bull package seems to be really solid. Yeah, totally. I, I think uh, you make a lot of sense in what you're saying, Mark. But uh, I think another thing that uh, maybe we're overlooking a little, little bit is just the way that they they, they qualified too. I mean, you have Lewis and, and George uh, qualifying in the second and third row. Uh, Lewis in fifth, uh, George uh, qualifying sixth. Uh, like you say, they they showed a lot of um, you know raciness throughout the race. I was actually surprised at that one point when Sergio like overtook Lewis, and then he sort of I, I expected that, that that Checo would just disappear down the track. Only like ten or fifteen laps later, whatever. All of a sudden, see Lewis within DRS range is just like, well, he's not going to let this thing go. And then, unfortunately, Lewis got a little bit caught out by that safety car and then ended up uh, losing a position. But I mean, he recovered well. I mean, certainly he was helped by the, uh, you know, some of the, uh, you know, the retirements further up the grid. But d- despite what you would call a disastrous start to the season for Mercedes by by their own extraordinarily high standards, I mean, to to be where they are right now, <laughs> it, it's it's not the end of the world. But just a, a funny thing you know tim when you were saying oh we didn't get a chance to talk to toto after the race in the 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 media availability i don't recall seeing toto at all throughout the entire race broadcast i'm thinking when was the last time that that never happened i mean he's like a fixture at some point that they 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 flashed the mercedes garage and he's there so that was that that was interesting yeah i chatted with him on saturday but didn't see him on the didn't see him on the sunday um it i I think it's interesting because if you go all the way back to when, you know, we were chatting with him in, in Bahrain at the end of that race and, you know, he was talking about taking a chainsaw to the back of the rear wing and I'm like, <laughs> okay, cool. And then now all of a sudden second in the championship, right? And it's kind of like, okay, well, like things aren't like that bad. Like they're bad, but they're not that bad. They've actually done a really nice job of, I think being there when, uh, like capitalizing on others' mistakes, being there at the right time. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I noticed the totally most agree. is when the race started and Lewis had a dynamite getaway, dynamite. And I thought, okay, that's great. He's all the way up into third, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's great. Good, you know, it's good to see. Good to see him. Like, it's probably only going to last for another few corners till that thing starts bouncing around and someone passes him like it's nobody else. It's like he's driving an ice cream truck or something <laughs> and then wave at him to see you later. I didn't honestly think that that car would be able to be as competitive as it was in race conditions. I think they actually really do set this car up more for for the race than they do actually for, for like a qualifying race hybrid setup. I think it's more geared towards, Hey, we got to make sure this thing gets through a full Grand Prix and is like somewhat, somewhat competitive. So I think, I think that's kind of what's going on down there when you kind of, when mm-hmm. they look at the race weekend for, for now anyways. Um, yeah, I think outside of that, it's interesting to see just how, you know, like people are going to roll their eyes here, but like just how competitive George Russell's been. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's done a, he's done a really nice job and we have to talk about it because he's been competitive and he was right place, right time for this podium uh, today. And he made it work. Uh, I think, you know, looking at this moving forward and, and I'll always say this, I think George is one of the best qualifiers on the grid and I'm going to stand stand by that. I think Lewis is the best overall driver. Like if you want all around good at every single thing, that's definitely Lewis for sure. Hands down, no question about it. But I think 
Hey, if this keeps going like this, guys, and we get to like race 10, race 11, I don't know. Like, what, what do you guys think? Like, well, you know, it, it just uh, demonstrates like how valuable it is to have both drivers performing, right? And having your cars finish the race because two, three weeks ago, we're thinking yeah, Mercedes is not in this. And all of a sudden after three races, I mean, they're only 40 points out of the lead in the constructors, which is not really a very big gap in a driver's championship when you're you're basically racing against somebody else. Yeah, that's a very difficult gap to close. But I mean, if you've got that one-two punch like you have with Lewis Hamilton and George Russell scoring mm-hmm. points in a car that they're still struggling to really dial in and really find that sweet spot, I'd say mm-hmm. it's still all on the table for them. I mean, it, it doesn't look likely, but when you see like a Ferrari and, and, and uh, Red Bull not collecting points, and that's going to be doubly frustrating for uh, Red Bull because I mean Checo has done an outstanding job the first three races of the season and I think that finally since 2018 they have that legit one-two punch like they used to have with Max and Danny Ricardo. I mean la- last year obviously it took uh, Sergio Perez a-, a little while to to really find his feet there but I mean he's been impressive through the first uh, couple mm-hmm. of races for the season of, of the season but then at Mercedes they have that I mean I, I can't help but but keep asking myself yeah sure they're, they're struggling right now they're not doing what we usually expect them to do but boy if they get this car figured out I mean it can be a, a completely different story I mean if it keeps going too much longer then sure they're going to be excluded out of that maybe that driver's championship uh, conversation but I'd say based on where they are right now I, I wouldn't write them off I mean write them off out of the, the constructors championship at your own peril because they, they could turn this thing around and mm-hmm. and who knows Look, Mark anyone Hamill. and everybody that knows me probably recognizes that I've been <laughs> awfully cool. I've been awfully, awfully cool. I was cool. just going to say Mark Hamilton is smiling. <laughs> <laughs> I've been awfully cool on on uh, on George Russell last year, the year before, even his rookie season. And I think my frustration got to a boiling point last year because he was receiving so much positive press and so much praise in the British media because of what he was doing with that Williams car. And at one point out of frustration, I actually tweeted like, how do we know he's getting everything out of that car? How do we know that car is not much more capable, right? Like you look at the last two years, his frame of reference in that car was Nikki and Nikki's fantastic. He's a solid, reliable driver, but he was younger and had less Formula One experience than Russell and Russell should have been outperforming him. And obviously we've had that flurry of points finishes last year, et cetera, et cetera, please. So yeah, just, just, uh, just to get in on that, because I think this might back up your point a bit. So um, George actually, you know, I think George actually feels that, that Nicholas was an extremely competitive uh, teammate because he even made mention of just how difficult that car was uh, to drive and how uh, much he had pushed George uh, last season in particular was one of the things that he'd referenced. But yeah, as, as somebody that's ride or die, <laughs> Nicholas Latifi, I need to hear that this season. That makes me feel a lot better. <laughs> oh, but- I'm not ride or die anybody, but like at the end of the day, I mean, you have to like, if, if the guy like a George Russell is going to say You're that and again, like you got to make sure that that stays within the story frame, right? At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder.
With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Sure. Dude, when Daly sits down with me and he does my quarterly podcast performance evaluation, he's like, you've got to <laughs> learn to be more objective like that Tim Haraney guy. But, you know, I, I think last year I, I, I was frustrated by the amount of praise. But everything we've seen from him this year, both on and off the track, off the track in interviews, he seems poised. He seems humbled. He seems very, very, very deserving of this role. And on track, he hasn't stepped a foot wrong. And I think you're teasing at this, Tim. You know what? Eight races in, 10 races in, 11 races in. What happens when he consistently finds himself in a position where he's racing Lewis or he's going head to heads with Lewis or a strategy situation might call for team orders? Like it's going to get awfully, awfully interesting. And I think we all knew this was going to come, but I don't think that any of us expected that he was going to adapt one to the new regulations and two to this car as quickly as he has. Mm -hmm. But I have nothing but praise for him. And as much as it was unfortunate for Lewis that that timing of the sports car potential or sports car, the, the safety car potentially cost him the podium, I think uh, Russell was very well deserving of it. The safety car that's five seconds slower than a Mercedes, you mean? <laughs> yeah, the one that everybody's grumbling about. So what did Max call it? A turtle? <laughs> well, I yeah. mean, I guess it's it's suitable because, I mean, the Aston Martin safety car is green, just like a turtle. So. Good point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I uh, I would love that Aston Martin, man. I think that car is sick. No, if they don't I mean, want it, I'll take it. You know, so I'll take I it know, off their hands. They're, they're in the media room, like complaining about it, and I'm like, I'll take that off your hands. You yeah, know? no problem. <laughs> want it for sure. Uh, speaking of Aston Martin, I mean, tough weekend for Sebastian Vettel. Tough weekend for the team uh, as a whole, really. I mean, wow, it doesn't get much worse than the weekend they had. Literally crashing in almost every single session, or something happened in every single session. I mean, I think like Vettel had an engine go in free practice one. Uh, then I believe in free practice two had a crash and then Lance crashed. And, like Just, oh God, absolute nightmare weekend for the team. Um, and again, for Vettel, you have to take into consideration, you know, this guy doesn't have a ton of seat time in this car because he had COVID to start the season and it took its toll on him big time and he missed yeah. two races from it. So I don't know guys like, eh, Seb, how do we feel about that? I mean, he just wasn't, he wasn't there this weekend and it's, he's, he's in a really tough spot right now. I think if, if there's a team out there that collectively needs a hug right now, I'd say it's Aston Martin, just the way that yeah. it's, it's been a rough, rough start. And then yeah. just even dialing it back to qualifying yesterday. I mean, that whole incident with, with, uh, Nikki and, and Lance, I mean, Lance, then getting that uh, that grid penalty and then getting uh, two points slapped on his super license by the stewards for that you know lack of situational awareness. I mean, that was just a bizarre, bizarre situation. I mean, Nikki lets him by and then he goes and then I guess was what was it one of the alphas coming up uh, around as well and then you know Nikki just dials it back up and then you know as much as I think Lance was surprised that Nikki was there. I mean, he's got two mirrors on the side of his car. I mean, you got to take a look at them some. You know, at, at some point it was just it just for me, that whole situation with Lance and qualifying kind of encapsulated the the season mm -hmm. so far. And unfortunately for them, it uh, it didn't get any better on Sunday. 
as the as the British tabloid press would write, this was a shock weekend for Aston Martin. An already poor season is just compounded. And like you said, Seb's engine goes in free practice one. Then he gets fined for riding a scooter unauthorized around the track. So that's 5,000 euros <laughs> and a bunch of press we don't need. Then he slides wide at T9, T10 and crashes into the barriers. Then Lance drifts wide at T11 and destroys his front end. Then in Q1, just like Daly you described, he comes together with fellow Canadian Nicholas Latifi. And that's the last thing that Nicholas needs right now. Now is he's recovering mental health wise from a really tough start to the season. Yeah. And then of course, Vettel then crashes out during the race, takes the front of the car with him. And then on top of that, you know, we, we see, we see, and it was kind of interesting that Aston Martin took that really interesting strategy with Lance, brings him in a lap two, puts him on the mediums, brings him right back in and puts him on the hard. But then he almost gets a penalty when he goes into that corner and overtakes Bottas by pushing him off the track. And then he does get a five second penalty because twice he cut to the right to block Bottas and then he gets a penalty point. Then he got the two penalty points in qualifying. So now he's up to eight penalty points in the last rolling 12 months. He's only four penalty points away from a one race ban. You know, if, mm. if they'd gone to Stephen King in the offseason and said, hey, write us a story, write us the worst possible start to the season. I don't think it could get much worse <laughs> for this team. They're now the last team to have scored a point. They can't keep the truck cars on the track. And at least sometimes you can point to one specific thing, right? It's a reliability issue. It's a driver thing, but it just seems to be a little bit of everything right now for this yeah. team. Yeah. yeah, it's like they're just living through a nightmare at the moment. They can't seem to wake up and come out exactly. of it. I, mean, I think like, especially for Lance, he has to be super careful going forward now, especially with those super license uh, points that he's tallied up. Uh, and that's going to be a big issue, I think, for him moving forward for the next few months and how he races other drivers and what he does on the racetrack. You gotta, you're going to have to pay attention to, to, to all of that. I thought he did a really nice job. In uh, in the race, even though obviously he had that penalty, thought he did a nice job holding on to a points-paying position at one point, and then yep. just keeping. I believe it was Gasly behind him for for quite a few laps. Gasly has the much superior car than what Lance right. is driving, and I thought he did a really good job of like just kind of being there, kind of showing what they could have possibly done this weekend. Which is, I think, for the team, that's a bit of a bonus, but. Uh, the stuff that happened in qualifying is absolutely ridiculous. And, you know, Lance should know better. I mean, like, you have to stay on the racing line. Like, it makes no sense why you would curve over to the right like that. The racing line isn't even there. And at the same time, you know, Nicholas let him go by because he, he was told he was on a hot lap. So he moved out of the way. And then Lance slows right up. And Nicholas has to keep the tires within the window. He's got to yeah. go by him. There's nothing he can do about it, right? It's just... Yeah, totally. Common sense is what you would do as a driver. Any one of us would have done it. So, yeah, that was uh, that was just not good all around for for anybody. Um, but yeah, it's it's a tough time down at Aston Martin. I like the car. I th actually think if they can figure out if they can actually figure out some of their porpoising issues, if they can figure out how to gain back a lot of the grip, I think I think they'll be okay. Like I think they actually have built a race car that's adaptable. And I think that was, you know, talking to Andrew Green in the off season, that was one of the big, one of the biggest things he said to me was like, Hey, like, you know, we've kind of started to build a car here that can go either in either direction. If we need to make some big upgrades and some big upgrades are going to be coming to this car. I just don't know when at this point, but when they do get here, let's see what happens. Um, Williams had, had a, they had a weekend too. I mean, the same, <laughs> same thing, right? So same true. thing with them, same thing with Aston Martin, but 
there was a bright spot with Alex Albin. Guys, what did you think about this drive? Because for me, that was a highlight of the race for me watching what Alex did on Sunday. Well, yeah, I mean, it completely flew under the radar, right? I mean, he yeah. got a, a point out of all of that. I mean, he puts in this like amazing, what was it? Uh, something like 120 laps on one set of tires or something. Well, I'm, I'm exaggerating, obviously, but <laughs> 57, I mean, 57. Yeah, I mean, he put 57 laps on those tires when Pirelli said that they only recommended 40. And he said the last yeah. 25 laps on those tires actually felt like the car qualifying pace. I mean, how yeah, he said, managed yeah, those said, tires. Yeah. I mean, that blows my mind. And then they bring him in on the penultimate lap to give him a fresh set of tires i mean not only was that like a, an aggressive strategy i mean it turned out to be brilliant i mean talk about like a highlight for the weekend for them i mean that's got to be you know if, if they needed a spark to kickstart their season that has to be it i mean guys i i don't know if it's not that gets them motivated i don't know what will Dude, nothing, nothing got me more excited this this race than that. And you don't really even understand it was happening until probably lap 35, lap 40, when you yeah. start to realize we're, we're 41 laps in and he's still on the C2 hards that he started with. And then you start to realize he's going to go almost the entire race distance <laughs> on this one tire. And, you know, he was quoted after the race saying, you know, it just, the tires, it just got better and better. And by the end of it, it felt like qualifying laps mm. of the last 25 laps or so. Mm. For compounds. me, I think- yeah, that C2 hard. Mm -hmm. Like, I think there's some really good news here. And maybe what he showed is one, he was absolutely the right choice for that team. You know, Williams was absolutely lambasted in the media because they didn't take Nick, who was Mercedes' choice, to come over from Formula E. They went to Alex Albon from the enemy Red Bull team. But Albon seems to have been just a sensational choice for him. He put in a phenomenal drive. And I think the other thing that we saw yesterday during that Grand Prix is this Williams car might be significantly more capable than maybe we've been giving it credit for, that on the right day, on the right track, with the right compound, this could be a much, much scarier car than we've given it credit for being so I think that was a revelation, but it was so great to see them score the point. They're now no longer the only team or one of the two only teams without a point, but he looked absolutely fantastic. And it also gives me confidence for Nikki too, because for Nikki to be able to sit there and obviously his weekend didn't necessarily go the way he'd wanted it to. He was on a very different strategy. He had that ugly incident, obviously, that we just discussed with Lance in Q1. But for him now to know that, hey, there's more pace in this car than maybe I expected. I think that's a good news story. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, you make some really great points there. Um, I feel that for this car in particular on that C2 tire, they are extremely competitive. So Nicholas starts on, I believe he was on the medium to start the race. Alex was on the hard. And the car just chewed through the mediums, like just chewed them up. I think like, you know, Nicholas had a really good start. He was ahead of Alex for... I think it was probably about 10 laps or so. And then same thing happened where the tires just kind of dropped off a cliff and mm -hmm. they just stopped working completely. He's on the radio. Like you got to pit me. You got to pit me. Same thing in Saudi Arabia, guys, you got to pit me. You got to pit me boom into the wall. Right. He's telling them like, Hey, these things are telling me something. They're not working anymore. You got to bring me in. You got to bring, bring him in. So they bring him in. Alex is consistently in the 124s, consistently for the race. He's 124, 124, 7, 124, 5, 124, 7, 124, 8, 124, 9, et cetera, et cetera. Nikki comes in, gets the uh, gets the hard tire compound as well. He goes out. He, I think his first few laps was like 126, 125, and then he's 124, 8, 124, 9, 124, 7. He starts going faster than Alex. And then obviously, you know, the tire just 
it lived very nicely on this car. And I think one of the biggest issues is that they need to deal with, obviously, with the porpoising as well, but is how this car uses the tire and how to get mechanically and more of a mechanical grip, I think, as well, how to get the tire in the right operating window so the drivers are confident. Alex, I think, has kind of found that. Nicholas hasn't yet. I think missing that testing session uh, back in Bahrain where the left rear collapsed on him at the start of testing, I think that really, really affected uh, really affected him simply because he hasn't gotten the seat time in this car. So I talked to him about it on Thursday. And, you know, we were chatting about uh, a whole bunch of stuff, and I brought up, you know, hey, what about these tires, right? Like, do they offer any warning signs that they're they're dropping off and he basically said not really you know they're the tires are uh they just simply just drop off a cliff he's like once they go they just go and there's not really much warning sign you know that they give and so i think as a driver for myself that probably rattled me a little bit for sure but i think you know, Hammy, like you said, once he starts to kind of get to grips and get the confidence back, I'm sure he'll be back in the fight. At the moment, it just feels like such bad luck keeps coming this guy's way, eh? Like it just doesn't, it just doesn't stop for some reason. But hey, who knows? You know, this is Formula One and he's got to deal with it. And if Alex is doing this, he's going to have to do it too. And that's just the way things roll. So absolutely. Yeah. And it's, uh, and it's going to be interesting to watch. I'm going to be very interested to watch this. Um, yeah, big time. It's going to it's going to be it's going to be fascinating because uh, if he can if he can pull it together, if we go back to free practice too. He's close to the same pace as Alex. Like I think he was like a tenth or two tenths off in free practice two. He got blown out of the water in free practice one, if I remember correctly. And then in the race, I don't think or sorry, qualifying, he didn't really get a chance to stitch together a lap because then he obviously had the incident with Lance. So he never really, really got to go out and do proper quality on a fresh set of softs. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's, uh, yeah, it's gonna, it's gonna be, it's gonna be tough for him. He's, he's up against the wall. I think at this moment, what do you guys think? Yeah, I totally agree. I think I think it's uh, com- coming to the point that it's going to be make or break pr- pretty soon because yep. you know there's so many guys that uh, you know the, the the drivers market is wide open this year. Was it like half the grid is out of contract by the end of this year? So they're going to want to you know I mean if if Alex is starting to show signs that uh, that there's potential in this car and uh, that they can maybe start putting it into the points, then they're going to want to have two drivers that are capable of that. So I, I think Nikki's mm-hmm. fully aware of the, uh, the, the situation and he's mm-hmm. probably feeling that pressure. So hopefully he can rise to mm-hmm. the occasion and, and deliver. Yeah, the, the only thing I would add, cause I agree with both of you is that never before has the funding from a pay driver. And I don't think it's necessarily fair to call Nikki a pay driver. His dad through his father's food group does bring some significant sponsorship dollars to the Williams team, but never has the role of a, pay driver been less relevant than now with Mm -hmm. the cost cap pegged at 135 140 million dollars it just doesn't matter it makes more sense for the team to invest in the best possible driver because you can get more of a return by chasing points in the constructors championship to bring in cash money and prize money and then you're even more attractive to other sponsors so i think he knows it daily just like you said he doesn't need to be told how precarious this situation is and just like we talked about off the top it's a deep 
challenge. It's a deep marathon of a championship. There's 23 races left. Hopefully we'll get to the point where this is long forgotten. And, you know, we always look back to 2017 and that was Lance's rookie year. He scored a podium. There were some bright spots. He he's cashed in a couple of different points, uh, points finishes, but he DNF basically the first four races, just trying to come to grips with that car. So for me, hopefully it's a little bit of, of Nikki shaking off some of those, I would say psychological gremlins based on that crash in Abu Dhabi, based on the double crashes in Jeddah. Hopefully he can shake off this incident in qualifying, knowing that he was not at fault. And then hopefully he can come to grips with the new compounds and with the car. But it's good, I think, that Albon's there because he needs that frame of reference. So he totally understands and has a clear expectation of what's capable of him on or what should be expected of him on the track. Yeah, absolutely. Good point. Uh, Drivers... F1 contract. So for drivers who are out of contract at the end of this season, it's Alonzo, Carlos Sainz at the moment. I think he's going to get, uh, I think he's going to stick around at Ferrari. Uh, Sergio Perez, Sebastian Vettel, uh, Stroll, Gasly, Sonoda, Albon, uh, Joe Schumacher. Those are all 2022 wow. uh, contracts that are that are up. So that'll be interesting. A lot of moving, a lot of moving pieces, boys. Uh, I'm excited. A lot of moving pieces, a lot of opening seats. <laughs> you know me. I love the driver market. <laughs> well, silly season's going to get very silly this season by the sound of it, you know, with all those, uh, you know, uh, seats coming available, all the rumors that are going to fly around at some point. It's like you and I have talked about before. The best part of the NBA is free agency and talking about free agency. And it's becoming the same with Formula One. (laughs) Silly season is now the most entertaining part. And talking about, like, as we did all of 2019, where is Vettel going? Or 20, where's Vettel going? Where's Vettel going? And last year, where's Russell going? It's it's a lot of fun to talk about driver changes. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Well... Well, uh, did I miss anything, guys, or uh, did, did we pretty much comb through this entire race? I think we got everything. The, the one thing I just wanted to mention just before we go, we had Lando and Daniel Ricciardo finishing P5 and 6 mm, for McLaren. McLaren. So they're, they're I don't want to say that they're back. I mean, they were pretty anonymous the first two races of the year, but they're certainly going to be the team that I'm going to be watching going into Imola in two weeks. It's like, was this a flash in the pan or are they starting to get this one figured out? This is track dependent for sure for McLaren. I think this is just a similar thing. I think like when you, when we saw the first two races, so like Bahrain, uh, Saudi Arabia, it's kind of like there's, and you know, Mark, you actually, Hammy, you brought this up the last time you were on, uh, where we're talking about the surfaces. You know, if you go to Bahrain, that surface is, uh, well, one, the track is more, I guess, probably one of the slower tracks on the calendar. So it requires more mechanical grip. But on the other side of it, it also has a pavement that's very uh, abrasive and chews the tire up big time. And then you go to Jeddah, which is obviously faster, uh, but the surface is not as abrasive as that in Bahrain. Then you go to Australia, you have another surface that's more, uh, this is more of a, a, a proper formula one track in my opinion i think this is this is the race that kind of tells us where kind of everybody is that's that's what i think and i think when we get to imola like i think this is kind of i think this was kind of the race that showed us where where all the team is and i don't know i think mclaren is actually legit with like a legit good team here maybe not obviously with like Ferrari and Red Bull and potentially Mercedes, but like, sure. I still think they're one of the top teams um, uh, in, in the constructor standings. What do you guys think? 
<laughs> well, I mean, if you, you look at the constructors right now, they, they have only 24 points. They're third in the constructors right now. But I mean, we've seen the way that uh, some of the teams in front of them have been dropping points that I wouldn't be surprised if, if they can put it together that they might be able to put a little bit of a run together. But it's been shaky, right? I mean, the first uh, couple of the races was was not very convincing from them. This this past weekend was, was much more what I think we've become used to McLaren over maybe the last 18 months, maybe if you want to push it to two years or so. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that this is actually a sign of things to come, but you know, like I said, off the top of the show, I'm kind of conservative when it comes to making these predictions. I'm going to have to see after what happens in Imola in a couple of weeks, and then maybe after Miami, then we'll have a good feel. Okay. Well, are they still struggling here or there? They, they finally got this thing figured out and then they can just, uh, well, motor on through the rest of the year and, and actually contend and, and see if they can put the fight to somebody in the constructors above them. All I want to say is, uh, watch out for Alpine. El plan is coming, I think. Yeah, well, I I mean, Fernando, I know that he really dropped off at the end of the race there, but I mean, he, and he had that hydraulics. <laughs> laughing. Yeah, I mean, he had that, uh, you know, that crash in uh, in qualifying, but I mean, he showed some some pace. I mean, if oh, he didn't have yeah. that hyd- hydraulic issue in qualifying that kind of messed his afternoon up, I mean, he showed some uh, some pretty impressive uh, moments uh, at times there. And, and let's not forget that uh, that Esteban Ocon you know, slid into seventh rather quietly on Sunday afternoon, so... There, there's there, there's another one to keep an lap, eye on. His quali lap, Mark Esteban Ocon's quali lap. I think it was in. Uh, it was either Q one or it was in. Yeah, it was in Q one. Oh God, I thought he was gonna crash the car, man. At least three <laughs> separate times that the final push lap, like just to get just to punch his ticket into Q two, dude. I seriously thought there was a couple moments I was riding on board with him. And I'm like, this guy's gonna bin this car for sure. <laughs> there is no way he. Because I think he knew that Alonso was going to be really quick. And I think uh, Ocon is just like, I'm either going to crash this thing or I'm going to get as close as possible to him. So I'm not going to look <laughs> embarrassed here. And then Alonso, man, that would have been a pole lap. And I think it would have been tough to beat. Yeah, it, he that that was a shame that, that the, the hydraulics went yeah. on him like that because we were watching it. We were on the edge of our seats. It was impressive. And, uh, you know, coming out of that that uh, that quality session, I have to admit, I was feeling a little bit disappointed. I feel that we got, you know, with mm-hmm. that issue and then you know, Alonso ending up in the tires, I actually felt kind of cheated because I thought we were going to see something really, really special from Fernando there. Same here. Yeah. It's unfortunate. And I don't have a lot to add, but we talk about obviously Red Bull hemorrhaging points so far because some reliability issues. Alpine's another team, right? Like if they could dial in some of these really small reliability issues, they could be scoring big points as well. They've had some really small minor reliability issues that have had massive consequences for them in the constructors championship. But, you know, we talk about the fact that, and these are big ifs, if, if Mercedes can bring a great upgrade package that puts them closer to Ferrari and Red Bull can dial in their reliability issues, then all of a sudden we have three teams and potentially six drivers that could be competing for race wins. But at the same time it's not going to take a lot more potentially for alpine to inch their way up there and mclaren and again we're only three races into a championship where the regulations are completely new and we knew that some teams were going to do really well out of the gate and some teams weren't and what we're probably seeing with red bull and mercedes is simply a consequence of the fact that they committed all of their resources during the previous calendar year to the previous championship Mm -hmm. because it went right down to the wire and it should probably be expected that ferrari was going to be a front runner because they weren't developing last year's car they were all in on 2022 but i think what's exciting is we should see some of these teams start to button up some of these reliability issues and for a team like mercedes eventually they're going to bring an upgrade package that's really going to make a difference to them 
Yeah, constructors standings at the moment. Uh, Ferrari leading the way with 104 points. Then Mercedes, Red Bull, McLaren, Alpine, Alfa Romeo, Haas, Alfa Tauri, Williams, and then Aston Martin, who is last and has failed to score a point yet. But I do think they will be scoring points this season. That's for sure. Uh, guys, Thanks very much for for coming on today. This has been this has been great. Um, let me know what you got going on and where everyone can find your stuff because you guys do some really great work over on your podcast. So yeah, you can find me on Twitter at MarkDailyF1, and that's D-A-I-L-E-Y-F1. You can uh, search us up on Apple and Spotify, anywhere you get your podcast. We're the Scuderia F1 Podcast. You can find my friend and co-host, Mr. Mark Hamilton, on Twitter as well. He's at Mark and Van City, and that's the the, the best place to to connect with us. And Tim, always a pleasure. Always love talking Formula One with you. It's been a blast. Yeah, guys, thanks again. Appreciate it.